diversify your interests. You know, this business is not the end all be all of your life. And if you make it the end all be all of your life, your art will suffer completely. You have to have, and I think this pandemic has proved that time and time again, you have to be able to live your life and embrace the things that give you joy outside of this industry to be able to survive in this industry. And I promise you all of these things that you're interested in, these books that you want to read, learning how to, you know, raise bees, learning a new language, making sourdough bread, whatever it is that is something new and interesting for you that you really get to like play with and enjoy is only going to help you in your art moving forward. So don't make this your life. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Mentors on the Mic podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Miller, a New York City native actress with credits in TV, film, commercials, and off-Broadway. And every week, I bring you an incredible mentor in entertainment, focusing on how they started and how they moved up to where they are today. Thanks for listening, and let the episode begin. All right, welcome to Mentors on the Mic. I'm so excited to introduce you to Emmy-winning casting director, Julie Schubert. Now, Julie has worked on some of our favorite shows, right? If you're a fan of Marvel and you're a fan of Netflix, then you probably have seen, you know, anything from Luke Cage, Daredevil, Iron Fist, a couple seasons that she did of Jessica Jones, The Punisher, The Defenders. She's really been casting all of that as well as some of our favorite films like Footloose, Fifty Shades Darker, Fifty Shades Freed. She's done multiple seasons of House of Cards. She was nominated for four Emmys, won one in 2013 for House of Cards. She also casts Manifest, which is a great show right now, and ABC's for Life, which is another favorite. So lots going on there. And she talks a lot about her journey, the first film she ever cast, how she moved up to casting assistant to casting associate to now casting director. And, you know, even if you're not an actor, you're going to find this such a great journey, you know, a typical coming to New York and trying to be an entertainment type story. But if you are an actor, guys, the questions she answers specifically at the end, I took some of my favorite questions from people in the industry and asked her everything from do's and don'ts of self tapes to how to move up as an actor from like co-star to guest star, etc. And she just blew me away with her answers. Also, if you love this episode, make sure to go back and check out season one. We have Kimberly Graham, Kim Graham, who's an amazing casting associate at Judy Henderson Casting, who also cast me in Homeland. So without further ado, here's Julie Schubert. Hi, Julie. Welcome to Mentors on the Mic. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for doing this. I'm really appreciative. I'm such a huge fan of you. I've taken workshops with you. I've auditioned. I've just always been a huge fan. So thank you. I always start these interviews with what was your first role in entertainment? I sold concessions at the Union Square Theater during Bat Boy the Musical. That was my very first step into the entertainment business. I love it. And how did you get that job? (laughs) A friend of mine actually worked for the Union Square Theater and she needed someone to cover her. And I sort of became her regular sub. And then that led concessions into doing house management work. And then I got to know people in the backstage and then they needed someone for costumes. So I ended up like being a sub for costumes during shows. So that was sort of the weird trajectory of my life. <laughs> yeah. And did you know, cause you've done so many different things a little bit, like you know, acting, you've done a couple, you know. I was never really an actor. I would be very, very clear. I think on my IMDb page, there is some acting credits. Yes. It's not me. There's apparently some other Julie Schubert in the world. That is so and good. somehow things have gotten linked up and I have her acting credits. I am not an actor. Oh my I God. I want to be very clear about that. I love actors. Yes. I think what actors do is incredibly brave, but I am not one of them. <laughs> It's so great you say that because I assumed it was you, A, because it was on your IMDb, but also a lot of casting start off as an actor. So I just yeah. assumed that you were probably well, one of those I mean, people. To be fair, I thought that's what I did want to do. Like, I went to college for it, and then I very quickly realized that it was not for me because I'm really bad at it. And so the college experience for me was about finding my place in the industry in a way that made me happy. 
And so as a casting director, I get to work with actors all the time. And I love actors. And I think what actors do is incredible. But I never have to be seen. I get to be the hobbit that I've always wanted to be, you know? So it really is a perfect (laughs) world. And I get to work on these really cool jobs and live in totally different worlds in each job. One job could be, you know, a superhero world. Another one could be about serial killers. Another one is a sort of a fantastical mystery box. Another one shoots in Israel. I mean, like, it really is. I have the best job. I I love it. (laughs) I love when people love their jobs. It's like the best feeling. It's so contagious. So what other jobs did you have then before you started casting? Okay. All right. My trajectory. Okay. So I started out in the restaurant business because my family has a restaurant in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. So like I started busting tables when I was six years old. I went to hosting and then waitressing and then answering phones. I know the restaurant is really well. But in terms of like the trajectory, once I got to New York, I started at concessions, house management for Minetta Lane Theater and the Union Square Theater during Burn This, Cookin'. Thunder Knocking on the Door, which was one of my favorites. And then I sort of forayed into backstage work. And I was also a stage management intern at the time for Ariel Tepper for the last five years, which was really cool. I guess from there, I ended up being Ariel's assistant for about a year. She was doing Hollywood Arms. And then I got a call from Andrew Reed, who at the time was working with Amy Herzig at CBS Primetime Casting. And I went in for an interview. They didn't end up hiring me, but they recommended me to Laura Rosenthal, who then recommended me to Elle Lewis, who I did interview with. And I didn't get that job either. But then she recommended me to Juliet Taylor and Juliet hired me as her assistant. And that's how it all happened. I'm very, 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 very lucky. Wow. I mean, I worked really hard and yes. I, I hope that showed, but to get to work for women like Juliet Taylor, and then I did get to work for Ellen, Ellen Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. It's brilliant. I'm very lucky. To I love that, that you just got recommended to different people multiple times. I mean, maybe my interview skills were great. I don't necessarily think they were. Maybe I'm just in the right place at the right time but I'm really grateful for how that all worked out. You know, I got to work for some incredibly talented women and learn from them and see how they operate and they do things. I just hope to be as good as them one day. That's all I can hope. I mean, (laughs) have you had the opportunity to do that for someone else since then? Yeah, I mean, of course, we're in New York, especially we're a small community, a smaller community than in LA. We know each other, we support each other, which I think is such a beautiful thing in this industry in general. And so if we know people are looking for good staff or, you know, we know someone who is trying to break into the business and also CSA has this new program where they're training interested people from the beginning, because, you know, back when I first joined, I had an intern for a year before I got a paying job. And so I had three jobs to be able to pay for everything. Like I would wake up at four in the morning. I would go down to the middle lane theater. I would do the laundry for the show. I would go to my internship, which wasn't paid. And then I would go back to the Square Theater to house manage. And then I would do the laundry and start the day all over again. And so I worked seven days a week. And I think what the great thing is about the movement now is that, you know, you get paid for the work that you do. Internships aren't free anymore. College credit, absolutely. But you get compensated for that work. And I'm super grateful that I had the opportunity to break into the industry when I did. And I was fortunate enough to be able and have enough drive and not be that interested in the social life to really make sure that I was making the money I needed to be able to pay the rent and my bills because, you know, I did that myself. I wasn't, you know, I'm happy that there's this training program now because there wasn't a training program when I was coming up in the industry. And I think knowing what casting is, knowing that there's a way into casting for those that want to pursue it, I'm all for. I think it's true. It. A lot of colleges now are offering casting programs. Like yes. Syracuse, SCAD has an incredible casting program. That's where Andrew Reeve, the one who was at CBS I was telling you about, she is now the head of the heads down there. And so she created a casting program. So the kids that are coming out of SCAD know what they're doing. You know what I mean? They know yeah. how to work in those offices and move in seamlessly. It's cool. It's That's really awesome. cool. Yeah. What do you think about the fact that I think those programs are mostly only available to people at a certain age, right? So it's this idea that like you can get academic credit, but I don't think you can just work or like 
I find it a little frustrating thinking of the amount of people who want to pivot in entertainment but are not able to be an intern at those type of places because they're really only offered to college age. Sure, because, you know, liability reasons and cost reasons, like that's the way. But the great thing about the CSA training program is that you can enter it at any age. Oh, good. Good to know. It really does give you the tools you need. At least that's my understanding. It's any age, anybody who's looking to make that pivot and you can really learn the tools of the trade to start at the assistant level and go in seamlessly. So that's why I think what they're doing is pretty cool. I think it's really cool too. I'll look it up just to verify, but I think you might be right. That'd be great because I just felt like there was such a disparity in the fact that like, if you want to like go back and maybe intern somewhere and learn the ropes in a different profession and not be able to because of age. And I've spoken to people about it too. Like someone was on my podcast, John Mason at Buckwald. He was an agent, but he did a casting internship in his like late twenties, early thirties. And they were like, you're too old for this, man. You know, and he said, now I couldn't even get that internship. And then he had to intern as an agent and they were still giving him trouble. So I just found it interesting that he now is the successful agent at a great agency, but he wouldn't be able to do that today. But it sounds like this program. Yeah, for casting, he could. I don't know about agenting so much. I don't really understand that world, yeah. quite honestly. More power to agents. That's not my jam. I mean, I couldn't. Yeah, not, I couldn't either. do it. I appreciate them so much, but couldn't yes. do it. Yeah, I think with casting, they really are trying to open up opportunities because I do think that because our industry in general has been so under the radar, underrepresented, relatively unknown. I mean, it wasn't until the HBO documentary that people really started talking about casting as an important part. It has always been an important part of the process, but now people outside of the industry understand. Understand it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, unfortunately, that's what was needed, but I think that you're right. Yeah. I think that changed everything. Exactly, exactly. Because of that, there are more opportunities and more people are interested in getting involved. And also because of that, that's why the CSA has set up this program. So, you know, people aren't working for free. They are learning how to do something while also making sure that they can pay their bills. All of that stuff. All that good, important stuff. Yes. Back to your career. Do you remember your first film that you cast? On my own or isn't it? That's a good question. I I was going to ask both. So let's say for Juliet, right? That was your first. Yeah, I worked for her as an assistant. Right. So Uh, what was your first I did internships before then. So I worked for other cast characters. Got it. What was your first on a team? Like what was your first, like as an intern maybe? Do you remember? Yes, it was Todd Solon's Palindromes. I've actually seen Palindromes. I have a friend who was in it because I grew up in New York. Oh, nice. My friend Hannah Fryman was in it and I saw her and I think it went to a festival. Yeah, it did. I could not tell you at this point. I just know she went abroad and in high school, that was a big deal. It's like, you went to a film festival? It must've been Venice, but I can't remember. But the point being, I've seen the movie. It's a great movie, great casting. Yeah, I mean, listen, I was the intern. It was all Ann Boulder. It was a really, I got to do a lot of cold calling. Because obviously the cast is really unique and yes. special ability, and, you know. So that was my first foray into really trying to get non-actors. I mean, really my first foray into anything. Try to get non-actors to audition for things. That was neat. I can't say that I had any stamp on that. Yeah, that was all. No, but what was anything. interesting, and this is why I kind of wanted to ask, and it was good that you sort of followed up with that question. In the same year, I believe this was 2004, you also cast your own project. So simultaneously to working and interning, I think you were also casting your own, like other short films. Oh, yeah, student films. Short films, like, yeah, student films. Yeah, because like at that point, I don't know if it's the same now, but at that point, that was sort of the way that you got a little experience doing things on your own was casting student films, student shorts and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that because in a way it parallels like the beginning actor's journey, you know, like we kind of have to do student films to build our reels. And, you know, there's that time frame where we're like, we have to do this, but we're also kind of having to do this to like build that resume, build that reel. So I liked that. It's also a great way to make introductions to up and coming voices as directors and writers, you know, and also introduce them to the casting process as well. Because I think a lot of times coming out of school, directors, writers, when they're doing their own work, don't understand the value of a casting director. Yeah, they're like, I could do that all myself. Or have unrealistic expectations. Like a casting director is supposed to bring you an A-list celebrity for Mm. your student film, of course. You know, and that's not 
what it is. You know, yeah. as casting directors, what we do is we allow for opportunity and connection. You know, we help facilitate getting actors to read material, but, you know, we're not the ones saying to the actors, you must do this. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But because we have those relationships with those actors, we have those relationships with those agents in ways that the up and coming directors and producers may not. That's why we're a valuable tool for them at that stage and beyond because yeah. our knowledge of the actor pool, wherever we happen to be, can only help you, you know what I mean? And help the filmmaker put together the cast that they're envisioning. And we also help them realize outside of their vision because I've worked with directors who have a very set physical idea of what they want, but it's not the physicality that they're really looking for. It's the essence of the person and what they bring to the table. So it's my job to sort of uncover what it is that they actually want for the role in the confines of what their vision is and present them with options that fit that story that they're trying to tell from beginning to end. A lot of times, especially with directors that are open to that. It's exciting to see them sort of change their idea of what they expected it to be to what it actually is going to be. And to then see it successful on screen is really, yeah. yeah. You cast so many things, but do you like watching it back? I mean, have you been able to see all the stuff that you've cast? It's easier for films, but I mean, for all the TV shows? Yes. Although I tend to not watch it over and over again. Yeah. You know, just because... I like to see how it all comes together and I like to see how the performances come together and the story, whether or not it matches what I thought was going to happen, but I only ever watch it once. Although other projects I watch all the time, you have those things you watch on repeat, but those aren't generally the ones that I cast. It's just, uh, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you're casting it. You know, you have that outside mind working of just like, I remember that. Oh, I wonder why they chose that choice. Maybe like it's, Oh, yeah. And all the other stuff. It's like, oh, that was the day that this thing happened. And right. it was frustrating. That was that last that. minute role that they asked me to cast. And I exactly. was like, come on. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like with casting, there's a bit of a linear cycle to it. But it takes sometimes a while to go from like intern to assistant to associate to director. So can you walk me through that a little bit? How did that go for you? Honestly, a lot of it was luck and a lot of it was just being in the right place at the right time, truthfully, and working really hard. Like, I don't want to take that away. Yeah. From, I really did. I did and I do work really hard. The intern to assistant was an easier transition because obviously I interned for a year. I had people that could vouch for me and say that I was worthy of trying out for the office. And then from the assistant to the associate jump, that happened a little bit during the writer's strike of 2008. At that point, a lot of the stuff in New York was on pause, but there were a couple productions that LA casting directors were working on that were shooting in New York. So they needed New York associate. And I was an assistant for, I think around seven years before I made the jump into an associate. And I really- For the same people or did you bounce around? Between Juliet Taylor and Ellen Lewis. Yeah, that's what I thought. And I really do feel it's not the same anymore. You know, I think people are assistants for a lot shorter periods of time and make the jump to an associate a lot faster. And then their associates a lot longer because you're still learning the pool. I think having been an assistant for seven, eight years prior to getting my first associate job was incredibly beneficial because it really allowed me to learn. I mean, and I'm still learning. You're always understanding, but get to learn all of the basics and repeat all of the basics over and over and over again. So by the time I was ready to make that jump to an associate, I had a handle on what was needed and what we were doing in a stronger way. So like Denise Chamian, who is the best, she actually had hired me first as an assistant on an indie film that she was casting in New York that didn't end up going. But then you worked with her in Confessions of a Shopaholic. Confessions of a Shopaholic. She hired me as her associate. So that was because she'd worked with me as an assistant, because she trusted me and felt like I had a good work ethic and was good at my job. That transition for her just felt, I think, felt good. I mean, I I don't mean words in her mouth, but like, I assume. Yeah, it's probably a good assumption there. Yeah. And then she also hired me to take me a Pelham 123 as her associate as well. She did all of Tony Scott's movies. Right. And And you also did the Love Guru around that time. I worked for Kathleen Chopin. Kathleen Chopin was a cast director for the Love Guru. Yeah. But getting to work for Denise, because she's based in LA and I was in New York, 
I did a lot of the sessions myself and ran those sessions and then obviously sent her all the material and we talked about those choices. So I got to really run a space by myself and learn how to do that a little bit trial and error without someone think that I wasn't doing it properly. Do you know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. It was was a really good learn by fire experience. Yeah. Did you just like rent space in New York? Yeah. Yeah. There was a Actually, the building that I'm still in, the 330 West 8th Street, I've been in and out of that building for over 10 years. I love that building wow. so much. And so the space that I rented was on the 10th or 11th floor. But yeah, I rented one of the studios in that space. And you're effectively being a casting director in the sense. I was an associate. No, I want to be very clear. Like, I, I just meant like you were like the New York representative. So it was yes. your pool of New York actors. So that yeah. responsibility that would normally be under a casting director was your call. Yes. In that regard. Yeah. Yeah, I was associate, but I just yeah. meant like you got that responsibility that we yeah, got to be the actors that I thought would be best. And right. then I showed Denise the actors that I thought would be best for those roles. And then right. ultimately we would talk and she would yeah. present yeah. the actors she felt were best from the group that I would show to the director and we'd talk about it. Yeah. That. Yeah. It was a really great learning experience. It was a great growing experience and it showed me that I could do it. You know, yeah. and I think what was so amazing is that at the end of Confessions of a Shopaholic, like the biggest gift ever gave me was giving me a casting director credit on Confessions of a Shopaholic on her card, my very first casting director credit. And it was just like, oh, it was amazing. How did she tell you? Or how did you find out that you were getting that? She was so nonchalant about it. She was just like, so Julie, listen, (laughs) I just want you to know that I asked them to put your name on my card and this you as a casting director along with me for Confession of And I think I burst out crying and yeah. I'm sure it was super embarrassing, but it was really lovely. You know what I mean? And I was so grateful that, you know, she felt that I deserved that honor, you know, it was great. And you worked with her in a few projects, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like as the assistant and then what the movie that I took called Beware the Scare, because it literally, like I was freaked out the entire time. It was a Jerry Bruckheimer movie. Scott Derrickson was the director of it. What was it called? I mean, I called it Beware the Scare because I would literally be scared the entire time. It's okay. But it changed names. I saw it in the theaters, but I also had to watch it like with my eyes through my hands because it was just so scary. Oh, it's so good. It's funny because eventually I was going to ask you what was your favorite genre to cast. Deliver Us from Evil. Yes. Yes, Deliver Us from Evil. It was really terrible. Like I, I had nightmares. And the actors that came in were so incredible. So incredibly good. And like, because like they good. were so incredibly good, <laughs> it gave me it scared me. And actually, we had an incident because some of the audition scenes involved screaming that the cops were called because they thought like somebody was being murdered. So we ended up moving all the auditions earlier and having the auditions prior to like people really being at work. Being so, yeah. And I also hung a sign that says there will be screaming, everything is fine. <laughs> um, so that never happened again. But it was so much fun to work on. It was slightly traumatic. And I wasn't able to work on anything scary again for quite a few years after that. It was great, though. I would totally do it again. I right. just, you know, I needed a few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A few years break. I should talk about, like, actually how I made the full transition into casting your career. Yes. It was all Lorraine Mayfield. You know, Lorraine Mayfield is David Fincher's casting director. And at the time, I was working for Meredith Tucker as her associate on Boardwalk Empire. And it was my first foray into television because television, right. it was really a divide between television and film. She called me and she said, because I'd worked for Lorraine on a couple indie films that she had in New York as well. So that was a, you know, she called me up. It was right at the end of our second season of Boardwalk Empire. And she says, hey, so, you know, I'm working with David on this series. It's going to be for Netflix and it's going to shoot on the East Coast. Do you have interest in casting it and being a casting director on it? And I was like, yeah, uh, yeah, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I flew out to LA and I met with her and with David and they said yes. <laughs> and I got to work with Lorraine and we eventually ended up as partners for a period of time. And yeah, so that's how, that's how, how it was transitioned. What was the show? Oh, House of Cards. There we Sorry. go. Sorry, yes. House I mean, of huge show, but yeah. also like tremendous amount of awards. Yes, right? very, very well received. Well awarded. <laughs> and that was your first Emmy. And it was all four Emmy nominations were for House of Cards. Yes. I got to ask, how was that? How was winning? That's pretty wild. <laughs> I don't think I spoke. I remember being in the audience, sitting with Lorraine. 
and they called our names as winners and we looked at each other and we were like, no. And then, <laughs> and then there was somebody behind us and I don't remember who now, and they were just like, run ladies, run. And so we ran down on stage and I'm just standing there like a moron with the statue and Lorraine was super eloquent as she always is. And then I think I was just shell-shocked for the rest of the night. So it was great. I mean, <laughs> that's amazing. You know? How did you feel when you found out you were nominated? I don't know. I don't think it was real. I didn't feel real. You yeah, know, I get that. It still doesn't feel real. Yeah. It also feels like a really long time ago. So it's hard. It's 2013. Oh yeah. It's 2013. Wow. It's been seven years. Yeah. There, there you go. go. Where do you put your Emmy? It's right next to my fishing trophy, which I'm very proud of from 1993 summer camp. It was like a trophy that I worked so hard for that year. Very important to me. It's on a bookshelf in, uh, in our living room. Do you look at both and feel like the same sense of like, yeah, I did that? Or you I do. Of- and the fishing yeah. trophy is a lot bigger and a lot taller. Mm. So it sort of overshadows the Emmy, which is kind of funny, I think- but also pretty great. Yeah. I feel very proud of those two trophies. Very, yeah. very proud. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad. I hope every once in a while you like, sit there and you watch it and you take it in and you remember. No, that's a little, that's a little creepy. I don't do that. No, I just meant like people don't celebrate their wins often enough. Like, I feel like it's so much easier to like think back on the losses and like the things that we weren't proud of and people don't like sit and go, yeah, I did that, you know, enough. I feel like. No, that's pretty true. Yeah. Fair. I will do that next time I see it. Good. (laughs) What is your favorite part about casting? honestly working with actors I think that's been the hardest part of the pandemic is not actually getting to work with actors I really enjoy it is it mostly on your end self tapes or you're also doing like zoom audition I do I do occasionally do zooms it's mostly self tapes right now the zoom audition while I think is helpful in those sort of final stages I don't think it gives actors a lot of space to really play and do what they need to do in the initial read so I tend to do Zooms as redirects as opposed to the initial audition. Because I think that it just allows the actor to do what they need to do in their self-tape. And then they already have a basis for when we work together on the Zoom. I mean, it's personal as much as it can be personal, but it's not as intimate as being in an audition room where you really are working through things and you're talking about the scenes and ways and you work off of each other's energy and you can't work off of energy over a computer. It's just not possible, you know? Yeah. Um, But hey, listen, I'm grateful that we have the technology to be able to do it. Exactly. And I'll do it until we're able to be in person again. And I'm just going to say thank you for it. Because truly, like, we're lucky that it happened now and not in the 19th. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a different world. Everything would have to be shut down. It would just be very different. Very Okay. So let's talk about a couple of the projects before I go into more questions, but like, okay. let's talk about specific projects. <laughs> Obviously you've cast many different stuff. So what is the main difference between approaching a film or a television show? Or is there any main difference? Is there anything? You know, TV is cast faster than film just because you're working on episodic. Sometimes you don't get the script until a few days before prep or even in the middle of prep. And so you don't have as much time to really be specific. I mean, you're still specific, but you may not be as specific as you normally would in a film. In film, you have the time and the grace to be able to be very, very thorough and make sure that the person you're casting is not only the right person for the role, but the best person for the role. In television, sometimes, you know, because you're telling a story over the course of however many episodes and however many seasons, you want to make sure that you're putting actors forward that make sense for the roles that you're working on. So if you know that you have a six episode arc coming up for a character that could be great for this actor, I may not bring them in for a one role part earlier. You know what I mean? So it's really about trying to figure out how to tell the full story over the course of like 13 episodes, you know, film, you're telling story over two hours. So those are like the big considerations, really making sure that You know, you want the best actor for the role, regardless of what you're doing, but you also are telling a story in a longer form. And Mm -hmm. so that has to be taken into account when you're considering talent for each individual role of each individual episode. Do you have a preference or not really? I'm grateful for TV because it lends itself to a longer paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. You need a longer paycheck. I love film. There's not been enough film for me 
lately. I'm like putting it out in the universe. I hope more films come in. Yes. I'm really happy doing whatever it is because at right. the end of the day, it's about the story that we're telling and I get yeah. to tell a story. And that's- You get to tell good stories. I get to tell really good stories. Yeah. I'm really grateful for it. Yeah. And I get to live in these very different worlds, you know what I mean? Yes. Very different worlds. Well, it's so cool. let's talk about some of these different worlds. So let's talk about, there's a couple that I wanted. So like the Fifty Shades Darker and Fifty Shades Bright. Uh, How was it entering those worlds as casting? I mean, we came in, this is one of our partners and yeah. Jamie Foley was doing the second and the third of the trilogy. And Jane right. was someone that we'd worked with on House of Cards. And so, you know, there's already sort of shorthand with the director, which was very nice. But, you know, you come into those last two movies, right? your leads are already set because it was set by the first movie. So, right. you know, you're just continuing to tell that story. I think, truthfully, that was probably the job that people were most impressed by from, like, my hometown. Cause, really? Yeah, I don't know if they necessarily saw a lot of my other work, but that was a real big Valentine win for for a lot of people in my hometown what's your hometown bucks county pennsylvania oh nice good to know that's what stuck out to them yeah yeah all right so then movies like footloose which is a very different type of story oh that was really fun that i got to go to atlanta and do casting in atlanta and that was also loray project she was working for at the time so i got to go down and do the local stuff for that it was just a blast because i got to meet a whole bunch of new actors that i'd never met before yeah and live somewhere I've never lived and that was an experience it was fun like it was just yeah. fun. everyone was really kind which I, I appreciate a did lot. you now that you then knew more Atlanta actors were you then using them for other projects there was yeah absolutely you know and I have to say past tense because it's so different now with career like you know everything is with the local hires and flying people out is a lot harder but I yeah. mean, for a while you could really bring people from different places so it's good yeah absolutely i'm a firm believer in like the term local hire i truly believe you have to be a local where you are you know yeah. you can't just say you're a local hire and then spend all your money getting to that place that's just not cool the reality is there are some jobs that i do have to hire locally that they don't have budgeted to bring in and if an actor says they're local and they have an address and that they live there half the time. Like, I don't mind considering them for that, but I certainly don't advocate for. Yeah, I see both sides. And I've talked about it with casting before, but like, I see both sides because as an actor, especially if you're really trying to build certain credits, you Mm -hmm. wanna just be able to work. I have a friend who, it's very easy for him to fly to Hawaii. His family in Hawaii grew up there Mm -hmm. and it's very easy for him to fly. So he's like, I wanna work and I wanna like add something to my resume and I want a paycheck, even if it's smaller than I would normally get because it's not, you know, but it's difficult because on the flip side, like there's lots of reasons why it's not a great thing. Absolutely. Like there are people it. who have the privilege and the ability to be able to do that. And that does take a lot of other people out of the running consideration because of it. But I think we all do the best that we can and I think that we yeah. have to do what's best for us in the moment, you know. Personally, I don't advocate for people being local hires unless they actually are local like realistically local you know yeah like actually yeah I mean listen I actually know quite a few actors that spend half their year in Atlanta and half their year in New York right so if they want to be local hire between the two because they have homes in both go for it you know what I mean who am I to say no to that but if someone is in California and they say they're a local in New York but they don't actually have an address in New York that's a lot of money to spend to Yeah. And that could hold you liable because you might recommend someone who says they can take on all the costs. And then when push comes to shove and they have to get the flight and they have to get it at a certain time and it ends up being a thousand dollars, you know, way more than they budgeted for. And all of a sudden they're like, wait, I'm not going to be paid back for this. Yeah. And I get that. I'd rather go into it knowing that that's the concern than not. You know what I mean? There's no surprises. Yeah. Truthfully, this pandemic has changed everything. Right. right? And consider anybody unless you're legitimately beat on the ground. Yeah. Place fantastic right now. I feel like the term local hire has sort of evaporated. If you like, there's no way you can do it right now, especially with quarantining for a project. It's just, you can't. No, you can't. Not at all. Yeah. All right. So let's go into like the House of Cards era because you did that for a while. Tell me about that. It was amazing. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it was a new frontier. People didn't know what Netflix was really at the time. Netflix had Lily Hammer, but this was their no. Like, I remember when House of Cards won all those Emmys that year, probably 2013. 
But I remember they won and everyone was like, it's a Netflix show. Like that's a Netflix show winning. That was like the first time I think it was like, wow, Netflix is like, we're here. It was cool. It's a retrospective thing. You knew it was cool when you were doing it. You didn't realize how cool it was until many years later. And you're like, oh, wow, that was like New Frontier. That was starting something. And to get to be a part of that is pretty special. And I love Netflix. I still have a great relationship with them. Like I think back, especially those first couple seasons, I feel like a lot of people's careers were like started at House of Cards or like really took mm-hmm. off and no? Took off, not started. Yeah, okay. Fun. Like, all of those actors were yeah, exactly. incredibly talented actors that have had very strong careers. Yeah. What it did, it was, it gave them a platform to yeah. be seen by a broader audience. I agree. Because I'm thinking, very grateful yeah. for that too. Like Rachel Brosnahan, like she had yeah. been in stuff. But I feel like that was the first show people really could like take her. Cause she was also like, she was on the blacklist later, but I remember like. That was relatively like, she'd done a few small things, but right. she was, a, yeah, I'm talking more like the Corey Stoll, the Michael Kelly, like those incredible actors who had been in New York and working yeah. and great work in New York. Like that was their platform that really got them everything they deserved. Rachel was still relatively young. She didn't have a large body of work behind her, but she was incredibly, I mean, she is incredibly talented. She was so good in House of Cards. I think that's why I was thinking about it because she was so good in that role. It was such a good role. I mean, it really was a great role. If anyone's seen House of Cards, you'll really be able to appreciate it. And she was in a lot of stuff after that. And obviously now Mrs. Maisel, but I think about that maybe, and we can agree on it. That was like her first big thing that I think people were able to- see how well she could take on a character. Absolutely. That's certainly accurate for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Good find. Good find. Yeah. I don't find them. I don't. Okay. Here's the thing. So how do you say? We don't find people. We just provide opportunities for people that already exist. You know what I mean? Fair so enough. I want to be very, very clear about because I think people have this misconception of casting directors as being like these horrible gatekeepers and if they just get past the casting director. They'll oh. be look at what they want. And that's not the case. Like we really are advocates for actors. We love them. We yeah. wouldn't be doing this if we didn't love them. So what we can do is give opportunities to actors and it's up to the actor to take it themselves, you know, and we can be their advocates to producers and directors and studios and networks. But at the end of the day, buck stops with the actor. If they can't deliver, then they're not going to get the job, you know? Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I love that distinction. Yeah. And then let's go into the Marvel stories quickly. So, you know, we've got a lot. We started with the Defenders. Is that correct? No. Uh, oh, no. What was, was the first one? It was Daredevil. Daredevil season. Oh, right. Okay. So Daredevil was first, I guess. You got to set them all before you get to the Defenders. That is true. You know, I remember, I think I saw it on IMDb and I'm like, that didn't feel like it made sense, but I guess I must have missed something. So, okay, Daredevil first. Yeah. And that Daredevil. was really the first, maybe I'm wrong about this, but like the first Marvel type show ever, right? That was a TV show that like- was On the Netflix new, platform. On the Netflix platform. Yeah, Marvel's had other series in the past, but this was just a new sort of approach where it was dark, it was gritty. Right. And being on a Netflix platform, you really got to play into it the way you wanted. And Jeff Loeb, who was, I mean- all hell Jeff Loeb, he really made those series what it was. And he oversaw all of them. And so, you know, that vision we were able to help bring onto screen. And that was really fun because it was a collaboration yeah. between Marvel and Netflix. And we got to be there for the majority of it. And that was awesome. Well, how did that relationship start? Because it obviously became like a very long, wonderful relationship. So how did it? Yeah, no, I mean, it was Lorraine. Lorraine had worked on the Hulk, you know, and so mm-hmm. she already had a relationship with Marvel film. And right. so Jeff reached out to Lorraine about Daredevil. We were already working together at that point and it was shooting in New York. So it made sense that we would do it together. And then we did. And there we are. And yeah. that's the story. And yeah. Jessica Jones was next, right? Jessica Jones was next. We did not do the first season of Jessica no. Jones. No, but you um, did the others. You did. Yeah, seasons. yeah, we did two and three. And then we came back for Luke Cage season one and then Iron Fist season one and then The Defenders. Right. And then The Punisher. And then it right. went back to Daredevil season two and Jessica right. Jones season two, Cage season two, Iron Fist season two, Punisher season two, Daredevil season three, Jessica Jones season three. And then that was the end of the run for the Marvel Netflix show. I was going to ask you, can you give us a little idea as to why that ended? Because it was so great. I couldn't. I don't yeah. know the inner workings of that. I'm not going to even pretend That's to. Right. Yeah, yeah. Just curious. I don't think there was any animosity. I, no, 
I mean, Marvel's really good at planning these things. So it might've just been, they planned and, and they yeah. kind of threes their films a lot of yeah. the time. So maybe it was just- Possible. Like, yeah. All right, cool. I've listened to something you said, and it also sort of resonates from what I've learned from you. You said you love when actors come in with like a confident choice, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So many actors consistently worry about getting it wrong, which we alluded to in the beginning. So what would you say to them about coming in with a confident choice and how not to have that mindset of it's right or wrong and like, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's really hard. I think ultimately it's just trusting that you know what you're doing. I mean, you are an actor for a reason. You do it because you love it and have joy in it. And so yeah. the audition process is super strange because it is unlike any other part of the business you will ever be a part of. You are in this tiny room with someone like me who may not be an actor who's reading with you while also working on the camera at the same time. And you're in front of a blue wall and you have to create something out of nothing. And that will never be the case once you have the job. You'll be on set with actual actors and costumes and props. And it will really feel like theater it's supposed to be. But in an audition situation, I think people get psyched out about it. They're like, well, I have to do what they want. What do they want? I don't know how to do what they want. And it's not about that. It's about what you bring to the table. And so I think actors have to look at the material. They have to do their research. It's so important knowing who the director is, the producers are. You know, if the show has, or yeah. has existed in some capacity, taking a look at that just to see the tone and the style and how grounded or not grounded it may be and making choices based off that because you don't get scripts these days. No one does. And so you have to take the context clues and know how to break down a scene to make choices for those characters. That's what I mean. You know, don't be afraid after doing that research to come in with an idea of who this character is and what story is they're telling in this particular scene. When actors come in with a choice, it's easier for me to direct them because I already know that they're thinking about it. They know what they want to do. It may not be right. It may not be what the producer or director is looking for, but I can work with that because I just know that there's something else going on. It's when an actor comes into an audition room to me and says, so what are they looking for? That they've already lost the game because it's not about the joy that the actor's bringing to the role. It's about trying to fit a mold. And like, that's not interesting. I can't imagine that's interesting for the actor. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's definitely not interesting for me. Yeah, there you go. Before I go into questions from actors, I wanted to ask a question for people who are wanting to be in casting, who are listening to this. So what do you look for in hiring assistants and associates? A real drive to want to be in the casting industry. I mean, there are more now than there had been because there's so few jobs. I really wanted to go to somebody who wants to continue in this industry and grow in the industry. And I look for people who are really organized, super important at an assistant level. Type A people are awesome and have great attitudes because it can be hard sometimes and it can be boring and it can be frustrating and it can be wrong and, you know, and not beating yourself up about things, but you know, yeah, not making a ton of mistakes over and over and over again. Those are the things that I look for. And people who really like escape rooms because I really like escape rooms. So I feel like if you like escape rooms, then we're going to be getting along just fine. Oh, that's good to know. Do you do a lot of escape rooms prior to the pandemic? Oh, yeah. And I do them online now, too. Oh, yeah. Me. I didn't know you could do them online. That's really so, fun. Yeah. I'm going to look that up. Yeah, I'll send you. I had no idea. Point. That's awesome. I'm always looking for fun things you can do where, like, it's, like, safe. It sounds yes, safe, yes. No, absolutely. You have to. Yeah. And you can bring your friends on Zoom, and then you can yes. escape them together. Oh, I'm excited now. I have, like, all these, like, people I want to do this with. No, it's really great. Excellent. Oh, good to know. Thanks. Okay, that's awesome. Okay, so I have a couple questions from actors. Okie doke. So my friend, Eric Alizaga, who has been in shows. I love Eric. Yeah. Love Eric. He's a good friend of mine. He's like my self-tape. He's on for life. He's on for life. How do actors level up and go from like co-stars to like guest stars to recurring to regular? We feel like a lot of times, maybe a lot of casting directors and associates, like, you know, sort of put actors into like buckets, if you will, of just like you're good for this right now or is it more like per role like you're just right for this role and we're gonna bring you in i mean i can totally talk from my perspective because it is such a subjective thing it's about the role it's not about whether or not the actor's trying to level up in some way you know i don't love casting actors in the same role over and over and over again that's boring for the actor it's boring for me why bother So sometimes there'll be a really cool role that's a three-episode arc that actor would be great for. And sometimes it's a small role in a feature that I think that actor would blow it out of the park 
it's really up to the actor to decide whether or not they feel like they want to put their hat in the ring for it. And I always respect that. And if I think it's a mistake, I will call and try and make my patient tell you why I think it's a mistake. And then ultimately, if you continue to pass, then I understand, you know, I I don't really love the distinction of how to level up a career because that's not what I do. That's what your agent does. My job is to cast the right person for the right role. The right person for the right role. Exactly. No, I love that. That's a really yeah. great of looking at it. I think that'll be really helpful. Jenny Hochberg, who's also been on. Hi, Jenny. Yeah, Jenny. Hi, I know all these people. This is I know. So far, this is good. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> Jenny wants to know if there was a book that you loved that you wish you could cast as like a project. Is there like something that you've seen? You're like, oh, I'd love the to Night cast Circus. that one day. Which the one? Night, the Night Circus. I'll have to read it. Oh my God. So good. And the characters in it are so uniquely fantastic. Like all I want to do is cast. Cause like, that's like the fun thing where you get to really get in there and find these amazing yeah. people to fill these really uniquely specific roles. Like how cool. Oh, I'm going to have to look this up. Yeah, would great. it be a TV show? Would it be a mini series? Would it be? I would film? hope that it would be either a mini series or a film. You know, there was a, I don't want to disparage another thing, but there was a book that I really, really loved that I thought would be an incredible mini series. And they made it into an actual series and it just didn't work because it's not, meant for a long tail story it's yeah. meant for that moment and so i get that you know but again that's my personal decision it's not, right no I'm no, not, no not at all and sometimes then they're gonna have to like especially if it is a successful show a tv show then you're gonna have to like extend it inauthentically like you're extending it and creating more story that's often you know i get exactly. it I oh get and it. i'd also love to cast anything karen slaughter because i really love her books oh good to know yeah oh awesome Shermaine Johnson wants to know what makes self-tape stand out? Are there any like big do's and don'ts that you see? No, I mean, honestly, in this time, I've seen all of the self-tape. It really is just about the performance, the choices. And obviously, I do think, make sure your lighting is good. Yes. See your face. You're not washed out. Right. I've seen a lot of tapes that end up being really washed out. So there's no features and that's not good. But outside of that, you know, make sure it's like a headshot, not a full body or too far away. I need to see your eyes, but other than yeah. that, yeah, I'm cool. Good. I love it. Cause yeah. you know, we get a little wrapped up sometimes in the technical and especially yeah, doing it. Right back. Now, yeah. So. Good to know. And watch it back. You'll know if it's a good tape or not. You know what I mean? I think a lot of actors send in their tape without looking at them Yeah. and just take a look. You can tell in yeah. two seconds if it's good quality tape, you know? Good. Excellent. Miley Rose wants to know, and I liked this question because specifically you have a project that had Hebrew actors, but if you speak another language such as Hebrew, which I do as well, do you think an actor should have a scene written and shot with Hebrew for a reel or clip? You know, does that matter? Is it just that like, it's under a special skill I mean, and you'll bring people in? Skill. If I'm looking for it and you do it, I'll have you in. It's not, you know, I Got mean, it. if it's a scene that you've actually filmed on an actual project, then yes, of course, include that in your reel, but I don't need a scene written and then shot. Okay. Real, got know, it yeah personal, personal. yeah that's fair plus your resume says you speak fluent hebrew so right i feel like I'll yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> and i get this a lot so i kind of feel like i have to ask the question is like how does an actor with like little to no credits get seen by you oh i hate I that, change that. i know i don't care i don't really care what you are. what i care about is your training you know i want to know that you're working on your craft that doesn't necessarily mean a conservatory. What it means right. is that you theater. I mean, theater is the best training. I mean, obviously we can't right now, but theater is the best type of training you can have. You're working eight shows a week. You know, you yeah. have to be able to think on your feet and play with others and tell a story in a two hour time. If you can do theater and as long as you're continuing to do it, that's what I look for. I'm not talking about, you know, these workshops or whatever they are. Yeah. Like, that's not, it's, it's a different really, skill set. Exactly. It's really about working on your craft. And yeah. I, that's what I'm looking for when I look at resumes. And I do, I look at resumes, you know, all yeah. the time. I don't care about your credits and especially if yeah. you're young. Yeah. Why would you have a ton of credits? That's weird. No. Yeah. I also think with theater too, it's like, you're doing the same thing over and over again. You kind of have to be present and in the moment and coming up with new things to make it not stale and boring. So I just feel like that's an important skill yeah. you get from theater too. Okay. We're on to the last couple of things. These are small, okay. quick runs. So one, and I always ask my mentors at the end, one, who are your mentors? And you named a couple already. Yeah. 
And I luckily mean, you have these female mentors, which are- Yeah, I mean, I think casting in general is a pretty female dominated industry, which is wonderful because how many times do you see a female head of a department? But yeah, the people that I consider my mentors, Julia Taylor, Ellen Lewis, Lori Mayfield, Denise Chamion, these incredibly gifted, talented women that I've gotten to work for and with in some cases. And, you know, I'm really grateful for it. Love it. And then what is your definition of success? Being happy at the end of the day. <laughs> I mean, Aww. seriously, you can have all the awards in the world, but if you're miserable, what's the point? Yeah. I'm giving a little applaud for the people who can't <laughs> see what I'm doing that. Yeah. I love that answer. I love when people sort of answer some version of that because I think it means more. I think especially people in their twenties and thirties were like, you know, going towards something that we think will make us happy as opposed to starting with happiness. And can I say something for those who are about becoming young folk, which I now no longer am, but remember, well, diversify your interests. You know, this business is not the end all be all of your life. And if you make it the end all be all of your life, your art will suffer completely. You have to have, and I think this pandemic has proved that time and time again, you have to be able to live your life and embrace the things that give you joy outside of this industry to be able to survive in this industry. And I promise you all of these things that you're interested in, these books that you want to read, learning how to, you know, raise bees, learning a new language, making sourdough bread, whatever it is that is something new and interesting for you that you really get to like play with and enjoy is only going to help you in your art moving forward. So don't make this your life. Keep the passion alive as much as you can, but make sure you have other interests outside of this. Politics, if you want to run for all, go do that. We need more people and more voices in politics that are going to help the people. So, uh, First of all, yes. Yes to everything you just said, because I think that's one of the biggest things I tell people, tell actors who are just starting. I'll be like, it took me a while to kind of figure that. I'm still working on it, but it's like, find other things. I think specifically in acting, in order to like beat the odds and do well in it, we have to do it completely wholeheartedly, 100%. And then you don't have time for other things. And other things are only in service to acting. And then it puts so much pressure on us to get the job or to do well. And it's like, find other things that give you joy and they'll all be in service to what we do. So absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. This has been amazing. You're phenomenal. I have the utmost respect for you and your talent and what you do and all that stuff. But thank you. This was great. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening to Mentors on the Mic. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend in entertainment you know would love it. Let me know what you've learned or what stayed with you on our Instagram at Mentors on the Mic. I love reading your messages. You can also find me at at Michelle Simone Miller on Instagram. On both accounts, I'll be sharing even more information about our mentors. Talk to someone about what you learned today who would really appreciate it and send them the episode. Also, if you love the show, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really makes a huge difference in growing this. It makes it easier for people to find our podcast and I love reading your reviews. So thank you so much and I'll see you next week.